0: Carolina. So if you have been called to ministry and you feel like the Lord is using Chi Alpha in your life to do that and you don't know where you want to serve, I would love to have a conversation with you at some point because we have lots of universities that need Chi Alpha. So um, very briefly, just to tell you a little bit about who I am, I am here today because of Chi Alpha. I went to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill an undergrad. That is where God radically changed my life. I got involved in this little ministry called Kayapa when it was starting, and um, I went to a SALT conference, and the rest is history. So um, I've been doing Kayapa for 19 years vocationally, so it's been a minute. I realize that some of you are like, that's older than me, and that's where I am in my life, so um, I get to talk to you today about one of my favorite topics, because I think sometimes in the church, um, we just kind of assume, like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll know things about the Bible, right? Like, I can just pick it up and read it, and it'll be totally understandable, and I won't have any issues reading or knowing what's going on. And more often than not, what we don't realize is that the Bible, while contained in a single volume for us, is a library. It's not one book. Now, it tells one cohesive story over many years by many authors, but it's, it's a small library that you carry around. So my aim today is to help you have some tools that will help you understand a little bit better what it looks like to approach this library and what it means to unpack the story of who God is and how we relate to him, because that is all what scripture is about. So, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive in, okay? Lord Jesus, we just welcome you here, and we thank you, Father, that we have this opportunity to know you more, that we might make you known. God, I pray that you would help each one of us to grow deeper in our understanding of how to engage your word in a meaningful way that transforms our lives, and Holy Spirit, would you use that word in and through our lives to expand your kingdom. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 All right, so very quickly, um, there is a handout for this, but, you know, good. So I have put it online for you, and you can all access it. And then if you, like, lose, you know, if there's no paper to lose, all you have to do is go to nckialpha.com. There's a resource tab. You scroll down. You'll see a little file um, that says how to, how to study scripture. I'll bring it up at the end on the um, PowerPoint presentation so you can see it. Um, but that's just a, a, a very simple way um, for you to be able to, to access what we're talking about today. Okay. Scott McKnight. I'm going to throw a lot of love, uh, authors' names out at you because I am a nerd at heart, and I love resources. I love books. I love podcasts. Um, so if you don't catch one, let me know. Um, more, more often than not. Um, it will be in the resource. Scott McKnight wrote a book called The Blue Parakeet. It's a really weird, weird title, but it's all about studying Scripture and the tools that, I, that you use in approaching the Word of God. And he said this. He said, God gave the Bible not so that we can know it, but so that we can know and love God through it. That is the aim of Scripture, right? Not that we would know a lot about the text, But that the vehicle for knowing God, the best vehicle that we have for understanding his character and what he's done and what he is going to do is the volume of scripture. And so, again, it would be really nice to sit down and open the Bible, Genesis 1-1, and just start reading and go, all of this makes total sense. I don't have to do anything. I totally get what's going on, right? But if you, like me, have ever sat down and you start at Genesis one one, by the time you get to Genesis like four or five, you're like, "What is happening?" Right? It's not like a, like a normal book. But here's the thing: every book that we read requires interpretation. You're just not always aware of it. Whenever you sit down and maybe you are a fan of um, the Percy Jackson novels, right? Or Harry Potter, you know, or things like that. You know intuitively, (laughs) you know intuitively that it's it's fiction, right? That it's not real. Some of you are like, what, it's not real? It's not real, right? But your brain knows that. Whenever you sit down and you read your bio 101 textbook, bless your hearts, you know that it's not going to be the same experience that it is reading that blog that you really enjoy on the internet, right? Your brain automatically does this interpretation. And so what we need to do is build in some automatic interpretation responses so that whenever we approach scripture we have a better platform for understanding. So, if you're going to be a good a good student of God's word, there are a few things you need. First, you need a high regard for the Lord's word. Okay, this is this is a gift to us. I think one of the coolest things about Scripture is that we have it, right? That there's this ancient text, this ancient collection. Bless you, ancient collection of texts. That is given so that all people in all times may know God and make him known. That's a pretty cool concept, right? It's not like someone got bored and was like, I think I'll make up a story, right? No, this is actually like a very important piece of our spirituality. You secondly need a teachable, inquisitive, Humble and studious attitude, which could be like four separate points I recognize, but hey, brevity. So whenever you approach the scripture, you're going to get some things wrong, okay? You're going to see names you've never seen before. And if you ever have to read scripture out loud, it's like, I don't know, how to pronounce that dude's name. So I didn't grow up in the church, right? I, I grew up cash, like culturally Catholic, which means like Christmas and Easter. And so the first time I ever read scripture out loud was in a caliphany. And we were in this book in the New Testament. And it was a one-page book. And in my head, I read it as Philemon, right? Because I grew up in the the United States. I grew up speaking English. I've never seen that name before. I'm going to put the inflection where I think there. there's name is right? But I didn't know that. And so there's a humility, right? That you kind of grow and you learn. And then there's there's an understanding that, you know, you deepen your understanding of the word the more you engage the word. So if you read it once, great. If you read it twice, even better. But if you make it a daily habit that is regularly a part of your life, you will you will not just cultivate a rich understanding of how to interpret and read scripture, but you will cultivate a rich relationship with the Lord in knowing him. Thirdly, you need a reflective and personal application for pro- approach to scripture. So I, for a long time, um, was at University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill who's a very famous professor who, if you've ever watched anything on um, the National Geographic channel and, like, you know, anything about the Bible, he shows up on there. His name is Dr. Bart Ehrman. He is the Department of Religious Studies head, and he's also an atheist, or agnostic, excuse me. He knows a lot about Scripture, but he does not know God. It is possible... To know a lot about a text and to never engage the God about whom the text is written. So if you divorce study from reflection and engagement, you are doing yourself a disservice in so many ways because that was never how the Bible was designed to be engaged. The Bible has always been a vehicle through which we can more deeply know and understand the character of God. Lastly, you're going to need time, discipline, perseverance, and the development of skills through repetition, right? There's a book, I don't know, probably 15 years ago, written that says, if you want to be an expert at anything, it takes about 10,000 hours, right? I don't know about you, but 10,000 hours sounds like a lot of time, right? And so whenever I think about what it means to be someone who's well-versed in my understanding of scripture, that's a lot of hours to walk. You're going to come across passages that are like, I don't know what to do with this one, (laughs) right? Why is this in there? You're going to come across passages that are like, wait, is this happening before or after that other thing that I read, right? You're going to come across things that are are difficult to wrestle with. You're going to be reading about a different culture and a different time and a whole different way of life. And there are many things that you read that are gonna be hard. If you're a woman and you're reading scripture, you're gonna to have to wrestle with some of the things in there. That's like in um, in Deuteronomy, how it's how the scripture talks about treating a woman, right? And if you don't understand the proper context, that God is moving a community. From treating women like property, one, two steps closer to the divine image of of equal creation in the garden, right? There's a big gap of understanding there. but You're not going to get that in sitting down maybe once, twice a year to read your Bible. It's also a a practice that um, it helps whenever you are able to sit in a in a church service or in your a large group and whenever the the speaker is talking about a passage and they're going a little bit deeper and it's like I read that and then they bring the knowledge right and you're like what like this is amazing and I think that is exactly what the scripture talks about whenever it says that you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength right for some of you it's really easy to connect in musical worship because you can feel it Right? You, you feel all the feels. <laughs> but I want to challenge you that readily available to you, and this is not true around the world in all places, in all times right now, but readily available to each one of you is a tool to engage God and loving Him with your mind. And that will enhance everything else. Right? So if you give time you give attention to the study of scripture, you will see your love and appreciation for the Father, Son, and Spirit grow. So how do we do this? What does this look like? Um, there's a helpful little acronym. It doesn't really, it's like a, not like a real word, you know, but we okay. make it a real word. Um, we call it to proact, and this is the sort of form that we follow. This is super easy. And I'm telling you this, okay, because this is kind of the start of the tools and it's a really good place to start, but here's the best thing about this. This is really easy to remember, so whenever you're sitting down in a one-on-one with somebody and they're like, I've never really read the Bible, you can be like, wow, I have a helpful, helpful little acronym that will teach us both how to read the Bible, right? So 2 proact twos because there's two P's at the beginning. Pray. We believe that God is active, that he engages with us, so it's always a good thing to, you know, talk to him a little bit before we dive into the, the word. Preview. This just means look over the whole passage, all right? Um, Dan Kimball, and the, the quote is later in my, my um, actually, never read a verse, is what Dan Kimball says, okay? Here's what he means. <laughs> he means that it can be taken wildly out of context because one verse, one singular verse is not the thing that was written to people. Usually, it's encased, thank you so much, it was encased in, in a story or it's encased in, in a letter. And all of these things matter. Let's see, can you guys hear me a little bit better there? not to read scripture. Dan Kimball goes a long way into what it looks like to, to dive in to reading. So whenever you're looking at a passage, read at least 10 verses around it on both sides. That might not be enough, but it's at least a start. Some friends of mine got me a really cool coffee mug, and it says on it, um, I can do all things through scripture taking out of context. <laughs> because if you know me, one of my biggest pet peeves is when people take, I don't know, a random passage like Philippians 413. If you've ever seen a like sports post-game interview, you know exactly what I'm talking <laughs> about. Right. Can I just tell you, friends, I am 5'1. It's not getting any better than this. I'm at 41. I'm not growing any taller. You know what I can't do through Christ? Dunk a basketball. <laughs> not unless there's a ladder to help me out, right? So that does not mean that God's going to empower me in whatever situation to do supernatural or super superhuman things. If you read it in its context, which is a letter to a church that's being deeply persecuted, Paul is telling them, no matter what you're going through, no matter what pain, no matter what kind of obstacle you encounter, Jesus will give you the strength to endure in the Christian life. That's a very different understanding than the Hobby Lobby plaque, I can do all things, right? (laughs) But you would know that if you only read 4.13. You got to read the book of Philippians. Sometimes you've got to read the book of Philippians and you've got to go back to Acts and see what was Paul doing at this time, right? Sometimes it's like, I don't even know who Paul is. And so going to Acts will help you understand, oh, this is who Paul is. This is is kind of his story. This is where he came from. But here's the thing. If you only stay in the New Testament, you still don't have a full view. And so if you understand, okay, I know who Paul is, I know his story, there's a a depth of understanding block until you read the Old Testament, which was all of Paul's understanding, his culture, his spiritual formation, right? All of this works together to tell one cohesive story about who God is and who he made us to be. And so if you're like, yeah, I'm a New Testament person, I get that in the sense that it's easier to read. It's usually a little bit more accessible. But can I tell you, your understanding will be richer, will be fuller if you engage the Old Testament. And if you only ever stay in the New, you're not really a Bible person. You're a selective person. So if you preview the scripture, right, you're looking through what's going on, who's in this, what is happening, right? You're taking a little, like, mental notes. You're not really, like, you know, totally diving in at this point, but you're just kind of looking around a little bit. You read the passage, and here's the thing. Read it once, that's great. But if you read it multiple times, that will help. If you read it in multiple translations, that will also help. Okay, there's, I don't have time to go into all these um, differences of translations and things like that. But I will say this. Whenever you are engaging with the scripture, um, not everyone agrees on the exact word that we have in English. That being said, the translations are close enough that it's not going to radically change the meaning. Okay? So you can read, like, English... Uh, And then you can go over to ESV, and you can read all the same meaning, the same big picture stuff, but you might get little differences in the words, and those differences sometimes are really helpful and illuminate a deeper understanding of what's going on. So you're going to read. You're going to read it multiple times. You're going to read through it in different translations. Um, For some of you, you're like, I really have a hard time staying focused with reading, and this is where um, I am not paid in any way by Bible Project. Man, I will sing their praises all day long. And if you do not know BibleProject.com, you got to get to know them. They just drop their app, and their app is really, really great because now everything's in one place. So Bible Project has these videos, and they're like little explainer videos, okay, where you read the book of Leviticus because I know you're just dying to read Leviticus, right? Some of you are like, I'm in my Bible reading for a year plan, right? And January is really good, but can I tell you the end of January and February gets a little rough. So when you get to January February time, and it's like, okay, now we're moving into some of the, like, law. That's some hard reading. Go to Bible Project, look up their video, and it will explain to you a little bit of an overview. Here's what the book of Leviticus is about. Here's what's happening in some of these passages. These are some things to look out for. Now, you still got to read it. You still got to slog through some of the more difficult passages, but it will be a little bit easier. So you're going to read. And then you're going to get really inquisitive. This is where you start asking lots of questions. If you don't know where to start with the questions, um, just start with good interview questions, right? Who, what, when, where, why? Who is this passage about? Who's talking? What's going on? Where are they? Does he give it give a time of day? Does he give it give a time of the year? What's happening between the people in the story? Is there conflict? Is there something that is being celebrated? Is there instruction? What kind of literature is it, right? Is this a letter? Is this a historical account? Is this some sort of weird literature I ain't never seen before in my life, right? The book of Revelation. Those are the questions you got to ask because it's all different. Remember, it's a library, not a single book. And so as you're asking these questions, you're gonna, you may not know all the answers to them, and that's okay. But if you start looking for the answers just within the passage, just within the book that you're reading, you'll be able to find out a lot more than you think you do. So my favorite, favorite, favorite word in studying scripture is context. And um, my poor interns, they hear it all the time, right? Like, they know if they give me an answer, I'm like, that's great. Where is that in scripture? Right? They have to back it up. <laughs> because the context matters. If if I know that there is conflict happening in a church, say, in the Corinthian church in 1 and 2 Corinthians, that's going to change my understanding of what Paul is telling them, right? I don't know about you. I've sent maybe one or two angry emails in my life, right? And it, it's it's a little different to read than, like, me just catching up with my best friend. And so if you read, like, the book of Ephesians in contrast to the letter to the Corinthians, which Ephesians is also a letter, they read really differently, but they're the same author, right? And so... Engaging the, the passage, looking at the context, what's happening here. Is this for this people group, right? Is it a very specific situation that, that the person is writing about? Is this something where um, we would need a lot of cultural understanding to unpack what's happening here? Whenever you're looking at, say, First Kings, there's a lot of things that are happening that are like, this is not like American democracy really don't know what's up, right? Because it's written to an ancient, uh, an ancient people group with a whole different style of government. But if you don't know that, or if you assume that you and your 21st century American cultural understanding is going to just be able to inherently understand what's happening in the scripture, you have a really hard time. But if we approach the scripture with humility and we say, okay, I'm here to learn, and it's going to take some work, we'll be able to engage a lot more. So as you're observing these things, you're going to be asking lots of questions. And I've got two questions here that I think are really helpful. There's the historical question. What is the author trying to say? Because the author is writing for a point, writing for a reason. What's the thesis? Why is this person writing this down for us? And then there's the second one, which is the theological question. And I think this is, if you can take nothing else away from this class, this is the most important thing you will will get. Scripture is meant to point us to God, okay? I know that there are um, traits and there are uh, things about people that we read in the scripture That are are good and admirable, and even things that we want to imitate. But I'm going to spoil it for you a little bit. God is the hero of Scripture, there's no one else. As amazing of a king as David was, he was pretty jacked up. this time, right? He's going to work it out. And the story of Scripture every single time is that in our own strength, we don't have the ability to do it. That's why God sent His Savior for us. Because we are unable to live out the image of God without God's Spirit in us and living through us. So whenever you approach Scripture, what's being taught about the nature of God? What is it telling you about man? Here's the thing guys, Not um, the, the type of literature that we're reading, um, not only is it not from our time frame, it's not from our culture, so we're really used to like, um, you know, Marvel type movies, and don't worry, I won't spoil, spoil anything for you guys, but like, you know, we're like, okay, there's the hero, and there's, and then there's the antagonist, right, and maybe they have some like good redeemable qualities, but they still really the baddie, you know, like this is how it works. There's gonna be conflict, and then there's gonna be resolution, and our hero wins, and this is good. And sometimes there's like a little moralistic type story in it, you know, just throwing in for good measure, like you know, love everybody. Scripture doesn't read like that. Sometimes, scripture is trying to tell you: this is exactly what you do not do. If you do not believe me, read the book of Judges. <laughs> it's all one or two generations without a recurring public reading of the scripture, a communal engagement of God's word, they forgot who they were meant to be and who created them. And it gets really ugly really fast. And so the book of Judges is a warning. So, you know, if you're doing the thing that's like late at night, you're in a dorm room, you're like, all right, I'm going to try this scripture thing out, right? And you just kind of let the Bible fall open and like dive in where it lands. I mean, that could work out for you. But it could also be like, wow, there's going to be some really weird nightmares, right? Like, <laughs> It's not linear. There's different arrangements. Our Bible, um, it's not worth super going into, but let's just say that the Hebrew order of scripture is different than our order of scripture. So what I mean by that is, if you've ever read 1 and 2 Samuel, and then you get to 1 and Second Chronicles, it's like, did I just read this? I feel like I literally just read David's story. Why am I reading this again? Okay, That's because in our Bible, it's ordered that way. But in the Hebrew scriptures, Chronicles, 1 and Second was at the very end of the Old Testament to recap everything that had happened historically. looking back. So you're going to be asking these questions. What is the author trying to say? What's the point? Whenever we're talking about a book like, like Philippians, right? it's a letter. It's written to a specific church, a specific church that's going through a lot of terrible persecution, like, like people are dying under of persecution. Right? They're discouraged. The theme of the whole letter is about hope. It's a beautiful encouragement. It's a challenge. It's, it is um, it is a writing that personifies the type of community that Eli talked about last night. It's a really beautiful book. But it's really tempting to go to Philippians and pull out some really clippy statements and divorce it from the deeper, richer meaning. And whenever we do that, We rob ourselves of the richness about what's being taught about the character of God. So whenever I read Philippians, and I see in there, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God, and He, the peace of God, will guard your heart and mind in Him. That's comforting to me today, that tells me about who God is, But it also, in the bigger picture, in the bigger historical picture, it tells me that a church that was experiencing the worst kind of persecution you can imagine, Paul was saying there's someone who is big enough for you to put your anxieties in, right, worrying about if you're going to be killed for attending a home church meeting, right, what does Paul do? Instruct them grow closer to the Spirit of God. And what happens? The peace of God will flood your hearts and minds. So there's like this big teaching, right, that was why the author's writing. It's why Paul was writing. He was writing to encourage the church of Philippi. But we benefit because Scripture is written for all people for all time. And here's an important distinction. Scripture is written for us. Scripture is not written to us. Okay. I'm going to pack that a little bit. Some of you are like, I don't know about this lady. She's mentioned Harry Potter. Now she's telling the scripture you written, written to me. <clears throat> does it apply to you? Absolutely 100% yes. No question. Scripture applies to all people in all times and all cultures. Okay? But that does not mean that it's written to you in the sense that, like, every cultural context is going to be adapted exactly where you are. So our Philippians 4.13 um, context is actually a pretty good one, right? One of the sort of litmus tests about Scripture is that it needs to be able to be applied to all people in all cultures and all time. Whenever we talk about um, God has a plan for your life, I'm going to move off of Philippians 4. I'm going to go back. I'm going to go to Jeremiah 29.11, another Hallmark paper. Right? For I know the plans I have for you. Plans to pass for you, not to harm you. It's a great first. Does it apply to us? Yes. Does that mean you're going your, to get your dream job? No. You know why? Because it can't mean that to the person in Africa who's not trying to climb the corporate ladder, who's just really hoping that it rains and that their crops grow. It can't mean that to the person who has not ever been to an education, a higher education institution who's lived in the jungle their own lives. It's a story about God, right? And so it means that, that his plans truly are good, and that his aim is for you to prosper, not in the mon- money sense, but in the kingdom sense. Also, written to people who are in a nation who are being taken over by war, right? So, like, totally different context than what we're experiencing. So, whatever the Lord is saying, I have plans for you. Is that true? Yes. Does that mean every specific detail lines up with what you perceive in your present time and culture? No. Deeply about you is he's invested in your individual life. It does tell us that his plans are good, so that even whenever the outcome that we don't want or we don't like happens, we have to reconcile that with the truth that God is good. I love this this, uh, quote. Um, Dan Kibble is talking about um, just hard passages in scripture. And he says, whenever I'm bothered by something in Scripture, I have to realize that the problem lies with me, not with God. Okay, because we know all the things about God's character. because Scripture lays it out pretty clearly for us. But it can be really easy to be like, man, that's pretty rough when God is like, kill all the people from this neighboring country. In the Old Testament, how do I reconcile that with God's character? Somehow it's reconciled in Scripture. It's my job to figure out how and why. And it does. (laughs) I don't have time to go into it. I know that's probably like, how is it? Um, Suffice it to say that it relates to how God's people relate to him and his overarching All right, when we talk about theological principles, there's a couple things that are like sort of rules of engagement. I think that's a fair way to call it. So whenever it comes to theological principles, the principle should be reflected in the text, all right? You can't make it up. The text gives you a lot of information. you got to do a lot of work to uncover it, but it's going to be there. It's not going to be like, here's the truth about God's character. Yes? Yeah. There. can't just make it up, you know. Um, like, I heard a, I heard a <laughs> quick aside. The humility thing is real, right? And so, like, sometimes you're just going to hear messages that you're like, that's not right. <laughs> and you got to let the Lord deal in your heart <laughs> about, like, they don't know how to study scripture. Like, what are they talking about? Anyway. Um, so I heard a message one time, and the passage that was being discussed, um, you know, the the, The ending sort of point was um, God is, um, God will empower you to, to do great things. Okay, that's true. But the passage from which they were teaching was not at all about how God will empower you to do great things. Okay? So you can have a truth that's great, but that's not necessarily in that passage that you're covering right now. All right? So Genesis 1 is is a good example because it's like we know from reading the rest of Scripture that God will empower you to do great things, right? But nowhere in Genesis 1 are you going to find something that says God's going to empower you to do great things. What you are going to find is a beautiful story that introduces God to us and his creative ability and how he fashions humans Male and female in his image, and that just as the temple is created in the, New Te- in the Old Testament, right? They have these temples for gods and goddesses and, you know, places of worship. The construction and the, the um, bringing together of the temple is actually mirrored in the literature of Genesis 1 1. But God infuses his spirit into it a way so that. You see God speaking things into creation. You see God engaging with his creation. And then the last um, created being that he makes is man and woman. And in a temple, the last thing that was put into a temple was the idol or the representation of the deity that was being worshipped. So there's a lot of significance in the fact that on the last, creation story, God creates male and female in his image, he, he created them, but if you stop that, God will empower you to do great things, it's not even really in the passage, right? you miss a rich understanding from Genesis 1, that will carry you all the way through scripture, alright, the principle should be timeless, not tied to a specific situation, alright, so there are going to be some things that you read in the scripture that are like, I don't know if that really applies in my life anymore. And and it doesn't. <laughs> so um, back to our good friend uh, Leviticus and even Deuteronomy, right? If you've read in the Old Testament law, you've read some weird stuff. And so there might be a passage, not might be, there is a passage that says, do not boil a kid in his mother's milk. All right, kid is the word for goat. It's a cultural practice of the time it has to do with like pagan cultures and what was happening in comparison and all these different cultural things guess what you don't have to worry about one. you know if you you turn on the cooking network and they are for some reason boiling goat meat and milk like you know it's okay I don't really recommend it I do love food I would not recommend that as a prep method but it's definitely not something that's going to separate you from the love of God (laughs) so you got to be aware Right? Some things are for a specific time in a specific situation. And then other things, the theological principle, is going to be timeless. Some of your work in the New Testament is going to be parsing some of that out, right? 1 Corinthians 10 tells women to wear head coverings. Guess what I'm not doing, right? Am I in sin? Am I in rebellion? No, I'm not. How do I know? Because that was a letter written to a specific church in a specific time with specific cultural restrictions. And if we flip over to 1 Corinthians 11, we have word for word the practice of the Last Supper. Right? Communion. How we do communion. Why do we keep 11 throughout 10? Ah, huh? context. Right? And so you got to dive in a little bit. The theological principles should be timeless, not tied to a specific principles should not be bound to one particular culture, right? That was our example with where I know I have, where I know the plans I have for you, right? For the person in Africa who's praying that it's just going to rain so that their crops will grow so that they can feed their family, that's a very different understanding of that verse than the person who is waiting to hear if they got accepted into nursing school, all right? So you've got to discern what is the application what is um, the culture that's happening there. Then, uh, the principles should correspond to the teaching of the rest of Scripture. Scripture is not going to negate itself. It's not going to contradict itself. Sometimes you're like, wait a second, I feel like I read a verse that was in contradiction to the other. You might have. But somewhere between where those two things have happened, there is explanation. There is reconciliation. Okay? But whenever it comes to big pictures, when it comes to the big truths, when it comes to theological principles, the Bible is not going to contradict itself. How do I know that? Because in Exodus 34, 6 and 7, it says, The Lord your God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Whenever we get to the New Testament, that same verse is repeated as, as a hallmark of God's character. And then we see that played out in the narrative. We see that exemplified in God's interaction with his people all the way through the last chapter in Revelation. The principle should be relevant to both the biblical audience and the contemporary audience. Okay, and this is just a, a recap of what we said already. Guys, it's it's got to be a timeless truth for all people, all times, all cultures. And this is why we study. You're going to get it wrong sometimes and that's okay. But if you keep reading through the passage, if you keep engaging the scripture, if you keep asking good questions, right? You set yourself pretty you're setting yourself up pretty well for growing in your understanding of who God is. So we've read, we've observed, we've asked ask lots of questions. We're looking at the context. We're uncovering what's happening. We're going into the book itself. We're going into other books around it. We're going into historical context. We might pull in some resources from the outside at BibleProject.com. We might go into other conversations or podcasts or things that are helpful. We might ask our campus pastor or staff, like, hey, can you, can you help me understand what's going on in this passage? And they may be able to resource you as well. And then this is the really crucial part, okay? This is what sets us apart from academia. Academia looks at the text and goes, that's really interesting, and then walks away and done, and their life isn't changed. You, however, will not do that. You will read the scripture. You will engage the scripture. You will observe the scriptures, and then you will apply the scriptures. Right? Eli said it the other night. How do we know the test of love? Nine in the morning. Anyway. Right? It's that we do. life change by result of reading the scripture there's a disconnect somewhere whenever you engage the scripture you're engaging a tool that is meant to introduce you more deeply to who God is and his mission and so if you just look at it like an object be observed in the same way that this microphone, this other microphone, is sitting on this table, right? I can notice lots and lots of things about it, but my life can be totally unchanged. In the same way, and this is the, the proper context for understanding it, right? The story of scripture is about relationship. It's about relationship between God and His people, about who He is and who He's making them, creating them to be. I'm married, I've been married for and a half years, I could know a lot about my husband. I could tell you what he likes to eat. I could tell you what his favorite outfit is. I could tell you what he enjoys reading. I could tell you the history of his life, right, in narrative form. I could tell you the things that makes him really angry. I could tell you the things that he really, really cares about. But if I don't engage him, I don't know him. And sometimes that's how we treat scripture. Oh, yeah, I know that story. I grew up in the church. Bless you. Right? I know what that means. Kid in Science School that you know the answer is always Jesus, right? Like we all know how to do it. But the question is, will you be transformed by the living word at work in your life? And you're afraid. I did not plan that sound effect, by the way. but like a um, We're a pray, and you're just gonna incorporate humility. Lord, help me understand. I read today. I'm just so grateful that you have made your word available to me. Help me live this out. This is really hard, right? Help me find someone that can help me live this out. Someone in my life group, my small group, whatever you call it, and then tell. Like sometimes um, you'll meet believers who have really, really rich lives of studying scripture, and like unless you ask them specifically, they like you have no idea. Can I just tell you it it is a rare thing in this world to find someone Did you see this verse? If you touch a football, God doesn't love you anymore. It's just this weird, random verse in Deuteronomy about touching a pig skin. And if they look just a little bit deeper, right? They'd understand the culture. And what's the point of Deuteronomy? Well, I can tell you one thing: it has nothing to do with football, <laughs> right? And so, helping people understand—it's a library meant to point us to God. In that process, we should be transformed. So tell others. I end with this. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. This is from The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. It's a very short read, it's a very good read. By the gasps in the room, I know some of you have read it because that is. Don't know God more deeply because of the Scripture. You're doing it wrong, right? And God, in His grace, has given us this tool to know Him more and make Him known. What a gift that we have! Keep wrestling, keep fighting through it, keep adding skills to your tool belt. Um, I promise you, I'd show you the handout here. So. So, um, whenever you go to um, NorthCarolinaHiAlpha.com, and this is it, it looks just like this. So, at the top you'll see a resource tab, you click on that, and you scroll down and BAM! There's a handout, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, even if you have friends that didn't attend this, uh, this thing, elective, Feel free to share that with others. If you have questions, let me know. My contact info is on here. I'm going to pray and then I'll release you guys to go on to your next elective. But friends, can I just tell you, the more you engage scripture, the richer your understanding of who God is will develop, and the more quickly you will be able to say yes quickly to the things asked of you by God, because your love for him will grow if you regularly engage in the of scripture. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much that you make yourself known to us, and so God, would you help us to steward that, that gift well? I pray that you would give us tools for understanding. I pray that you would give us patience in the work, that you would help us to persevere in the passages that are difficult. And Lord, that in the end of it, that we would know you more, that we might make you known. Father, we love you. We're so grateful that you provided this opportunity for us to to gather together and to just discuss your word. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen. amen.